Our scripture lesson tonight comes from Leviticus chapter 15. It's only fair to say that Leviticus 15 is a major part of why I wanted to preach this series at this time. Uh, And so Leviticus 15 may strike you as being one of the least applicable passages of scripture. And I will just say in advance... I have been unable to find a single sentence in this chapter that is directly applicable in the sense of, you should do exactly what this says. But, once you've seen what Leviticus 15 is saying, you can never see the world again the same way. So hear now the word of the Lord from Leviticus chapter 15. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. And this is the law of his uncleanness for a discharge. Whether his body runs with a discharge or his body is blocked up by his discharge, it is his uncleanness. Every bed on which the one with the discharge lies shall be unclean, and everything on which he sits shall be unclean. And anyone who touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever sits on anything on which the one with the discharge has sat shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever touches the body of the one with the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and shall be unclean until the evening. And if the one with the discharge spits on someone who is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And any saddle on which the one with the discharge rides shall be unclean. And whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries such things shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Anyone whom the one with the discharge touches without having rinsed his hands in water shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And an earthenware vessel that the one with the discharge touches shall be broken, and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. And when the one with the discharge is cleansed of his discharge, then he shall count for himself seven days for his cleansing and wash his clothes. And he shall bathe his body in fresh water and shall be clean. And on the eighth day he shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and come before the Lord to the entrance of the tent of meeting and give them to the priest. And the priest shall use them, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord for his discharge. If a man has an emission of semen, he shall bathe his whole body in water and be unclean until the evening. And every garment and every skin on which the semen comes shall be washed with water and be unclean until the evening. If a man lies with a woman and has an emission of semen, both of them shall bathe themselves in water and be unclean until the evening. When a woman has a discharge and the discharge in her body is blood, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days, and whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. And everything on which she lies during her menstrual impurity shall be unclean. Everything also on which she sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever touches anything on which she sits shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Whether it is the bed or anything on which she sits, when he touches it, he shall be unclean until the evening. And if any man lies with her and her menstrual impurity comes upon him, he shall be unclean seven days, and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. 
if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity, and everything on which she sits shall be unclean as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, she shall count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. And on the eighth day she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and bring them to the priest to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall use one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for her unclean discharge. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. This is the law for him who has a discharge and for him who has an emission of semen becoming unclean thereby. Also for her who is unwell with her menstrual impurity, that is, for anyone, male or female, who has a discharge and for the man who lies with the woman who is unclean. This is the word of the Lord. We need to remember that Leviticus is all about the question of how can humanity, and particularly, how can Israel, my son, my firstborn, how can the people of God ascend God's holy mountain? How can a sinful humanity enter the presence of a holy God? And tonight we're looking at how male and female connect to this question. We've seen several times already in Leviticus the connections back to the Garden of Eden as the holy place where God met humanity. And it was in the garden where God created man, male and female, and told them to be fruitful and multiply. It was in the garden after the fall that God promised that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. The Apostle Paul reflects on this when he says that, that the woman is the glory of the man. What does it mean for a woman to be the glory of something? Well, Paul says, in the context, he says, a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Eve was created from Adam, her head, as his glory. That's not to put her in an inferior place. To be the glory of something is to be something great. And we'll see the importance of this as we go through our passage tonight. Because when it says that Eve was created from Adam, her head, as his glory, well, think about how Scripture uses that image. Jerusalem, Zion, the church, is portrayed as the bride of Christ. Our eternal joy and peace in the new creation is portrayed as bride the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven arrayed gloriously for Christ our husband. Mark Garcia says this well. The biblical lady Jerusalem and mother Jerusalem are not figures in the sense that they are somehow less real and less relevant to how we think about the feminine. To the contrary, she is the most real and most relevant. To ask then about 
the why of biblical teaching regarding men and women in relationship, marriage, and its bliss or burdens, and the forms of faithful ecclesiastical order in life, is to ask what is the significance of this prominent and consistent biblical motif, Mother Jerusalem, Lady Jerusalem, what is going on here? And just to just forecast for you. Leviticus 15 comes right before Leviticus 16. What's in Leviticus 16? How does the high priest enter the Holy of Holies? I was puzzling my way through this, in this as I was preparing for the series, thinking, why did we have, you know, a few weeks ago, three weeks ago now, we, we went in chapter 12, we looked at, at childbirth, and childbirth is separated by two chapters about skin diseases and how that applies to houses from this discussion tonight of menstrual impurity and discharges. Why does Leviticus put these two things so far apart? Because we're not tonight talking about childbirth. That's not the issue here. So that's where that's a separate issue. We've already talked about that. Tonight, we're looking not at Mother Jerusalem. We're looking at Lady Jerusalem. We're looking at this image of what's going on with this picture of why, why is this discussion of, well, quite frankly, the female body and its reproductive anatomy and physiology, why is that placed right before the question of how does the high priest get into the Holy of Holies? All of Scripture will spend a lot of time reflecting on this conjunction between Leviticus 15 and Leviticus 16. Woman is portrayed in Scripture as a picture of the holy place. And not just woman generically, but woman particularly as with respect to her reproductive physiology. It's part of the reason why Scripture has no patience for sexual violence or other forms of neglect and oppression. Men who fail to act with priestly care and concern for the women in their lives are acting abusively. I mean, that's, and Bernard of Clairvaux said this really well, because the temptation for man is to use his authority for his own purposes and his own power, his own pleasure. And he, run, he once wrote to a, a student of his who had just become Pope. He said, no poison or sword ought to terrify you as much as the lust for domination. Now, if that's the temptation for man, what's the temptation for woman? Well, the temptation for woman is the temptation of the glorious ones in Scripture. What's the temptation for the glorious ones? That they confuse their glorious status with the notion that they no longer need the one whose glory they are. What are the, who are the glorious ones? They're the ones who reflect God's glory. And to, for the glorious ones, the angelic hosts, to forget God's glory is for them to fall into rebellion against God. And for woman to forget, to, to, to confuse her glorious status with the notion that she no longer needs the man whose glory she is, is so that, that one could argue this is at the heart of what, in the, in the curse, when God said to, to woman that, that your, you know, you, your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you, you can see that that ruling there, this was not talking about ruling in a good sense. 
This was talking about, this is the, the more the tyrannical ruling and that basically woman's rebellion against being the glory of the man. So let's look at how chapter 15 fleshes this out. Now, uh, there are two basic parts to the chapter. Uh, verse 18 will be the, the core. This is, verse 18 is the center of the chapter. Everything hinges around it. It's, I, I, I made a boo-boo in my outline. I, I put the outline in before I had really got my mind wrapped around the passage well. And so there's a, the center of the passage, the center of the chiasm is verse 18. Uh, the first 17 verses deal with male discharges, while then verses 19 to 30 deal with female discharges. And the section on males itself has two parts. First part, verses 2 through 12, refers, refers to discharges other than sperm. Uh, these, when, when, when your male appendage is malfunctioning and doing other things besides its standard operating procedure, this renders you unclean. Uh, the idea is there's something going on uh, in your private parts that does not belong. So if a man has a discharge other than the ordinary, he is unclean, and everything he touches or which touches him also becomes unclean. Now, it's important to note that a, the male appendage has a dual use. It is both used for the production of life. It is also used for the production of waste. So it's already a kind of a, a mixed organ. It's doing two things in opposite directions. I mean, we, we keep seeing in Leviticus how the, the, things, the things that head toward life the things that head, are heading towards the holy place, heading towards the clean, the holy, and things that tend towards the opposite direction are going outside the camp. And so we'll see that, uh, that when, when you have things that are disordered, they are, uh, that was, that's what renders you unclean. Now, it's worth noting, you could have a discharge coming out of your ear. Does that render you unclean? No. You have discharge coming out of your mouth. No. You could have discharges coming out of any orifice in your body, and you're clean, except one. The reproductive organ is the one that renders you unclean. This is important for understanding what we're, as we're heading towards entering into the Holy of Holies, this is because where there is no seed, there is no life. And this explains why his cleansing is on the eighth day. As we've seen throughout Leviticus, the eighth day is the day of the new creation. And so after seven days, he washes his clothes and his body. And on the eighth day, he takes two doves or two pigeons to the Lord for a sin offering and a burnt offering. You, you can see the new creation imagery. The man's seed has been compromised by this discharge. This condition renders him unclean. If he cannot produce, then he cannot partake in the worship of Yahweh. Uh, in Deuteronomy 23, the, the one who is emasculated cannot enter the assembly of the Lord. The worship of God in the Old Testament is all about the promise of the seed. Without the seed of Abraham, there's no salvation. The promises to Abraham and to his seed require that there be a seed, and that must continue. So on the eighth day, the man brings his sacrifice and the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord for his discharge. Now, one of the things you'll notice here, what is this man guilty of? 
nothing in particular. He had a discharge. This is not a sin in the sense of he did nothing. This is, he, had, he had a discharge. This is, this is partly where you see sin and misery. The fall brought mankind into an estate of sin and misery. He didn't do anything to render himself sort of, sort of sinful, but he's unclean because of this cond bodily condition. And as such, the priest must make atonement for him. It's not enough. I mean, this is where, you know, I think sometimes, sometimes you're like, where was my sin? Where was my... Sometimes, it, no, it may not have been that you did something wrong. It may just be, this is the misery of this life. And recognizing that that happens too. We live in a state of sin and misery apart from Christ. So on the eighth day, the man would bring his sacrifice to remove the impurity of his seed. Now, in, in verses 16 and 17, we hear that any emission of semen also renders a man unclean. Now, the difference is the, 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 the man with the discharge, this irregular thing, that it renders you unclean, and it's a, it's a seven-day unclean uh, process for cleansing, and on the eighth day, you bring the sacrifice. For an ordinary emission of semen, that just renders you unclean until evening. Now, the point is that a man's seed is properly for procreation, and so the, the spilling of it on anything else, he and it become unclean. Now, notice that there's no moral comment here about good or bad. I mean, you'll find there's, there's no moral comment about sin and righteousness anywhere in the chapter. The focus is exclusively on the question of clean and unclean. And you see this in verse 18, where verse 18, which is the very center point of the, of the chiasm, because if the first part is dealing with male discharges, the second part is dealing with female discharges, at the middle is, this is when everything is working properly, and this is, this is where everything is being done right, and male and female come together in sexual union, and they still become unclean. Now this has caused many to just go, huh? Wait a second, if we're talking about proper function, isn't this proper function? Aren't things happening the way God said to? Back in the garden, God has said, be fruitful and multiply. So we did what you told us, and now you're saying we're unclean? What's going on? Leviticus 15 is talking about sexual physiology. Is the, the reproductive system functioning proper, properly? Is, you know, is that part of it? Is at, at the beginning, at the end of our passages, we see, you might say, pathological deviations. I mean, if a man has a discharge, his sexual phys physiology is not going to work. If a woman has an ongoing discharge, she will be unable to bear children. Neither of those discharges can lead to the creation of life. Then these middle sections of his emission, you might say his solo emission, and her uh, menstruation, these are not pathological, but they're also not facilitating reproduction. It's sort of, in one sense, it's still it's in the category of normal function, but totally incapable of producing life. But verse 18, at its heart, portrays sexual reproductive physiology in its fully functional setting. The degree of impurity decreases as we move from the irregular at the beginning and end to the ordinary uncleanness of emissions and menstruation. But even in ordinary sexual relations, both male and female wind up unclean. Why is this? 
Why is there still impurity here at the center? We'll jump down to verse 31. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. We have not yet escaped the point of how can man enter the presence of God. That's at the very heart of what Leviticus and the Holiness Code and purity impurity is all about. If the body is not cleansed from discharges properly, then the tabernacle is defiled. So think about the picture going on here. If your wife is a picture of the holy place, then when you go into your wife, it is a picture of the priest entering the holy place. The tabernacle was the center of Israel's wilderness camp, and at the end of Exodus 40, we heard that the glory of the Lord had entered the most holy place. God himself is with us. God has entered the holy place to meet with his people. And those who would approach the center of the camp must themselves be clean. We started this section in chapter 11 to 15 with only clean animals can be brought as sacrifices. Outside the camp are the unclean, those moving toward death and unlife. And when you use the, the, the animal that's, that's slaughtered as the, uh, for, the, for the sin offering, it must be taken outside the camp and burned outside the camp because sin cannot approach that which is God. So why does this picture of holiness in your relations with your wife render you unclean? Well, what is the purpose of a man's seed? Well, be fruitful and multiply. If a man's seed does not take root in his wife, then it has fallen short of its purpose. Now, this is where it gets a little sticky to know how to say this. Waste products belong to the realm of death outside the camp. Deuteronomy 23, 12-14 insists that Israel keep their latrines outside the camp with the picture that God walks through the camp and you wouldn't want God seeing or stepping in anything unclean. So waste products, things need to be removed outside the camp. And since 99% of a man's seed will fail to take root, it's now a waste product. And so whatever it touches becomes unclean. And also remember that your wife is a picture of the holy place. And the holy place is, is not a place where anyone can remain indefinitely. You know, the high priest had to go through a lengthy purification process in order to enter, and he could only stay for a short time, one day a year. Oh, and, and by the way, that's Leviticus 16. Next week, that's where we'll be. Chapter 15 and chapter 16 sit side by side. All through the scriptures, you see reflections on this relationship between, between woman and sort of, you think about idolatry and adultery, that, how does that theme connect? Because entering a woman improperly and worshiping improperly are actually very much related things. So we should not at all be surprised to find that entering your wife's holy place also requires purification. Because unlike the priest, who is entirely given over to his holy function, your priest is not. Remember what we saw earlier. The, the man's organ 
has a dual function, one to produce life, the other to produce waste products. Your organ is mixed up. The reason, in verse 18, very clearly, the reason why they both become unclean is because of the man. It's not because of her, it's because of him. The male organ has, you know, has, is used for the production of life, but is also used for the production of waste. And you're going to bring that thing into my holy place? If humanity is going to enter the presence of God, we must be clean. And so the act of reproducing the image of God is connected to that. It's why God so regularly describes idolatry as adultery. It's also why Scripture will talk about the violation of women as being tantamount to the violation of sacred space, calling forth the wrath of Israel's holy God. And so this is, but this is also why this is a great, this is a great text for Advent because Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary without male organ and male semen. Only a man could repair man's fault, but there was no man who could fix what man had broken. And so God himself had to come in our form. And likewise, when Christ unites his holy bride to himself, he cleanses us by water and the word that we might be a holy and radiant bride. He makes us clean. He protects. He nurtures. And Paul says this is the pattern for husbands. How should a husband love his wife? The way Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, likewise, the woman in verses 19 to 30 may be rendered unclean through improper function, but the sequence is reversed, clearly showing the sort of chiastic structure built around ordinary sexual relations. First here, we deal then with the normal and then to the abnormal. Verses 19 to 24 speak of normal menstrual cycles. And this is, yes, in one sense, a woman has her period every month. But, but think about what's happening. For the man, if his seed falls anywhere but his wife, it renders him unclean. What is the purpose of her flow? Well, it signals the fact that she's not pregnant it means that the unfertilized egg is passing from her body and she will be unclean for seven days and any man who lies with her will also be unclean seven days because her, her impurity, you know, basically the way that a woman can defile a man is through sexual relations during her menstrual period. The man always defiles because, yeah, well, and... So when, if think about the picture here, if a woman is the picture of the holy place, then her monthly cycle embodies the condition of God's people. You know, when she is properly functioning, she is clean and ready for approach. Menstruation is part of the normal pattern, but it reflects the not yet of redemption. Because when a woman is menstruating, it is clear that now is not the time. But menstruation is only for seven days. And actually, you'll notice, it doesn't say it's, that it's just for the, the period of her period. It's for seven days. If it's shorter, then it's still seven days. If it's longer, well, then actually it says, then that goes on to the irregular discharges. 
But it reminds us that the, the point is less about sort of actual bleeding and more about the picture that God is showing us of, of sort of human sexual physiology and how it relates to what God is doing in history. What, as Mark Garcia puts it well, what transpires in her physiology is a microcosm of the biblical accounts of the creation and flood as well as of the glorious temple itself. And this informs and in some cases directly shapes the biblical legislation regarding the urgency of proper protection of care and love of a woman. It also, in its variety of biblical reverse images, identifies the tragic and dark forms of the failure to, to, to do so properly. So then in, actually, if you, you know, we, we recently went through the book of Judges. You think about Judges 19 and the, the horrific story of, of, of the rape scene there. This is, and then how it connects with Israel's relation before God what was it that when you know, Israel goes in their, in their fighting against Benjamin, when is it that they actually are, are finally granted victory? When they worship him properly. Sort of, that's where when they do, when they worship him properly, only then does God grant them victory and give them triumph over Benjamin in their rebellion. But then in, in verses 25 to 30, we hear of abnormal discharges in women. And like the man, this is not ordinary uncleanness. Uh, ordinary uncleanness, just, uh, it's still, an, it's you know, wash in water and, and in, by evening you're clean. But this one also requires the eighth day sacrifice in order to be restored. Again, pointing to the new creation. And like with men, it's worth pointing out that the only sort of discharge that renders unclean is one af- affecting the sexual organs. The focus is on the reproductive system. I mean, part of it is that a woman whose reproductive system flows forever could flood the world. There's actually ancient Near Eastern myths using that very image. And, but Moses is helping us understand the truth behind those myths. Because if all women had dysfunctional wombs, humanity would cease to exist. But it's worth pointing out that the way Moses talks about this is not primarily about marriage or childbearing. We saw that back in chapter 12. Moses deals with menstruation and discharges separately from childbearing because his point here in chapter 15 has simply to do with male and female. Again, back in verse 18, there was no reference to what kind of sexual union he was describing. It was just as true for adulterous relations as for marital relations. In, in Proverbs 7, the adulterous woman is emphasizing, the, oh, I've, I've paid my vows. I'm clean. You can come have sex with me. Sort of like, well, that, the point in Leviticus 18, 15, 18 is not sort of is not talking about sinful versus proper. The point is any sexual contact. And the reason here is because the two become one flesh through male and female. Sexual union can only happen between male and female. That's, in our day, that probably has to be said out loud, but the parts required for sexual union only come as male and female. And so that, but any re- sexual relation between male and female 
is in view in verse 18. Because, again, the point is, Moses is not here talking about sexual ethics. He's talking about sexual physiology and its relation to the next chapter, how the high priest can enter the most holy place. You see, a woman's body is a picture of the most holy place, whether or not she ever has sexual relations in her lifetime. And when a woman's reproductive system malfunctions, it is a picture of the catastrophic result of the most holy place being inaccessible. If, if the most holy place is never open, well, that's what verse 31 talks about. Thus shall you keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. Closing the most holy place, rendering it inaccessible forever. So when a woman's reproductive system malfunctions permanently, that's a picture of the catastrophic result of the most holy place being inaccessible. And that's also why she requires cleansing after systemic malfunction. And perhaps, perhaps now we can appreciate the trials of that poor woman who had suffered with a discharge of blood for 12 years. In Mark chapter 5, we hear of this woman who for 12 years was unclean. For 12 years, everything she touched became unclean. And then she hears of Jesus and she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. According to Moses, if she touches his garments, he becomes unclean. But she understood who he was. He was the one who was going to enter the heavenly holy of holies. And so when Jesus perceived that power had gone out from him, he asked, who touched me? And his disciples are, there's a crowd pressing around you. What do you mean? But Jesus knew. And she knew that he knew. And she came to him trembling. But he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Her uncleanness did not contaminate Jesus. Rather, his holiness decontaminated whatever he touched, even whatever touched him. The one who was born of a virgin healed the 12-year flow of blood. Now, there is this closing admonition to the priests in chapter 15, verse 31, encouraging them to teach these things and to, to make sure that to keep the Israelites separate from that which would defile not just them, but the tabernacle. Because their uncleanness has the potential to defile the tabernacle, which would result in the tabernacle being removed, the Holy of Holies being closed permanently, in which case they would die and no one would ever come into the presence of God ever again. Now, this is why, obviously, there are certain discontinuities between Moses and Christ. Christ has opened the way into the heavenly holy of holies, truly a most holy place that can never be defiled. So, in one sense, Leviticus 15 has no direct application to the church. Like I said, I, I couldn't find a single sentence in this whole chapter where I would say, ah, take that just absolutely literally and put it into practice as is. And yet... The imagery is stunning. The implications are profound. Once this sinks into your heart, you will never make love to your wife the same way again. 
and you probably won't even think of, men- of suggesting it when she's menstruating. So much that passes for sexual relations in our day is all about power and pleasure and so little about entering the holy place. I think back to Bernard of Clairvaux's, no poison or sword ought to terrify you as much as the lust for domination. That so often plays such a role in sexual relations in our day. And indeed, both the patriarchalist and the homosexualist movements have butchered this. Mark Garcia again puts it well. If the scriptures revel and exult in these ways regarding the significance of what makes a woman different from a man and vice versa, then the tragedy of the homosexualist agenda and of family or ecclesiastical maltreatment of women which is referring to the patriarchalist agenda, it becomes clear because in the homosexualist agenda, the push for a distortion of equality as uniformity or practical undifferentiated sexuality of sexuality as mere cultural moray, we lose what makes us meaningful. We lose, too, what makes a woman uniquely special. The homosexuality agenda is thus a great oppression of women. When... When you think about to, to tell women that they're just like men is not. I mean, women, you bear in your body a picture of the holy place. The sanct- the, the, there's, there's, there is something distinctively holy about your physiology that God is saying, there's, he made you this way. And again, it has nothing to do with whether you ever have sex, whether you ever have babies, that's not the point. Chapter 15 sort of focuses on, this is about the way God made you to reflect this in your own physiology. And in the same way, the, the patriarchalist approach, the The urgency of the biblical proscriptions is lost on us if we ignore the motif of the feminine as a kind of sacred space which is violated in the failure to protect, nurture, provide for, and love, a violation which in marital form can be so severe that it ruptures the one flesh reality. Both errors result in defiling the tabernacle. Uh, And Jesus in Revelation 2 and 3 has some pretty strong words that he says to the churches that if we continue down those paths, he will come and remove that church's lampstand and say, you are no longer a church. You are no longer... And I would say, in our day, I could, you know, there are plenty of churches on the left that, that we, could, we can easily identify and say, they have abandoned what Jesus says about men and women. At the same time, there are plenty of churches on the patriarchalist side that have also abandoned what God says about men and women and use, use scripture to oppress women. So both have, both have problems which we need to bo- avoid both. And that's where what Leviticus 15 is showing us about how God made women to show forth this particular picture of, of the holy place is an important feature, an important part of which then you see this running through all of scripture. You see this throughout the prophets. You see this in in Paul's discussion of marriage in in Ephesians 5, that this picture of Christ 
cleansing her by water and the word to make her a holy bride. Uh, and then how Jesus and his church make babies together as we uh, live as the people of God. So let's pray and ask God to help us with this. Lord, help us because we too often forget what you have shown us in your holy word. And we, we ask that you would help us to see these things, that we might, that we might, that we might see the glory that you have, have given to woman as the glory of man, that you would help us to, to, to see each woman that we meet as being, as having this picture of your holiness, this, this, the picture of the holy place in her own body, that, that as we, as we live and walk in this age, that you would help us to see what you are doing in history, in helping, in bringing about the new creation through your bride, through your, your mother Zion, our mother. We pray, Lord, that you would help us as we live as your people, that we might, that we might show forth your love and that we might care as as husbands for our wives, as parents for our children, as wives to our husbands, as, as in each relation that you've put us in, Lord. Help us to see what you are calling us to do in this relationship and how you call us to show forth your grace and your mercy in, in each relation. Lord, have mercy, because we are weak and frail and we too quickly turn to our own ways and we seek our own power, our own pleasure, our own things and yet lord we see in in your in your word how that ends so badly every time so help us to hear your voice and to seek first the kingdom of your son our lord jesus christ help us in all of our callings in each situation we're in in our workplaces in our homes in our schools in every place where you put us that we might show forth the love of christ that we might bear witness to your your great power and your great love which you made known to us in jesus we pray this in his name. Amen.